Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study of the Book of Romans, Pastor Murphy introduced us to five final truths that Paul gives at the end of chapter 5. We've already studied the reality of sin, the universality of death, and the historicity of the Genesis account. Today we'll study the fourth truth, the sufficiency of Christ. You need to turn your Bibles with me, please, to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to commence my reading from verse number 12, but we'll be looking uh, tonight from verse number 15 to 19. Romans chapter 5, and let's commence our reading from verse number 12, and then we'll come down to verse number 19. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so the gift. For the judgment was by one the condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, that is Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Let's pray. Father, would you help me tonight as I deal and labor with this passage that you will give the believer a clear understanding of the complete sufficiency of Christ in meeting every condition that needed to be met in order to redeem mankind. All the barriers that stood between man and yourself. Christ is the appropriate person who has sufficiently dealt with these matters so that he can bring about a reconciliation between yourself and humankind would you help us to know that there are times when we need to labor in doctrine when we need to 
grasp more clearly what the Apostle Paul is teaching because he's laying the foundation for the matter of sanctification in the next chapter. But our sanctification and our victory over sin is based on the foundation of what we have in this chapter. Help your people uh, to understand that it's the understanding of truth and the appropriation of truth that liberates us. When we grasp what God teaches and what that means and how, whether it is practical or positional, uh, it enables us as your people to claim the promises of your word. And it is this in itself that enables us to have victory. And we can say to the enemy when he appears, it is written. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our understanding. Cause that our wills be subdued to your will. And help us, Lord, above everything else this evening to better comprehend what the Apostle Paul is teaching in this passage. Give me the capacity to convey your truth, to lift your truth from the passage, and to so illuminate it that the believer sees it very clearly. And so they're able to not only believe in it, but they're able also to appropriate it in their own lives. I ask for your help. I ask for your enabling. I pray for your wisdom. I pray for your guidance. I ask for your blessing on the service. And in a very small measure, I pray for your power and the power of your word to be demonstrated in the lives of your people. Lord, if there's anyone in here tonight who is a member of this church or not a member of this church, but who is here and have never fully understood the work that Christ has done and how sufficient it is, all sufficient, I pray that tonight they will grasp it as they have never done uh, as we begin to expound what Paul says in this passage. May your mercies be upon the service and may your presence be in our midst and may your spirit be the teacher this evening. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I know that Brother Neville was away for a month and he came back and he still found us in this chapter. <laughs> I'm not too sure what he's thinking. But I would say to you, quite frankly, that this is one of the great chapters of the Bible. It's one of those chapters that I've been mining and mining and mining. And tonight I'm going to deal with this chapter again. It is that rich and it is that profound. The Apostle Paul in this chapter, as I've said, he's condensing all the truth that he has said in the previous chapters. He's bringing everything together. He is almost summating all that he said from chapter 1 to chapter uh, 4. But he's doing that quite deliberately because after this chapter, Paul moves from security and Paul deals with the whole question of sanctification. And when we talk about sanctification, we're talking about the believer's victory over sin. How do we get victory over indwelling sin? How do we break the bondage of our sinful habits and our sinful inclinations? The Apostle Paul in chapter 6 is going to explain explicitly how this can be done in the believer's life. But before he can do that, it's important to lay the foundation. 
Because everything he says in chapter 6 and following is based on this foundation of the complete sufficiency of Christ to deal with the human problem and the human condition. And this is why Paul is what Paul is going to do in this chapter. When you go through this chapter, I mentioned to you that there are several issues that Paul deals in this chapter. I've already dealt with some of these previously. And now we're going to come to the fourth thing that Paul deals with in this chapter. In verse number 12, we saw that Paul dealt with the whole question of the reality of sin. We dealt with that already. I'm not going to go down that road again. Secondly, in, in verse number 12b, Paul dealt with the universality of, of death. Because sin brought death and all men have got the grim reaper in the pursuit to bring them down to the grave. We dealt with that already. And then last Sunday and the Sunday before, we dealt with the whole question of the historicity of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3. What I tried to do then was to show you that if you eliminate Genesis chapter 1 to 3, you eliminate the whole doctrine of salvation. This is a crucial chapter that asserts again and again that the, what we have in Genesis chapter 1 to 3 is actually a historical facts. It's not myth. It's not legend. It's not folklore. It is indeed authentic history about humankind and how man fell, etc., etc. And by the way, if there's not a real Adam, there's not a real Christ. If not real sin, there's no real salvation. So if you don't believe in the fact that Adam was a real man and was created by God, and you entertain evolution, there's no salvation for you and no salvation for me. It's all a myth. And that is why it is so important for, for us to spend some time establishing the historicity of Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Now tonight, I want to turn to the next thing that Paul deals with in this chapter, is what I call the sufficiency of Christ. Now if you go through this chapter, you will never find that word sufficiency in this chapter. Yet when you engage what Paul has written here, you cannot help that what Paul is showing to you that Jesus Christ is sufficient to meet the human condition. Everything that Adam did, Christ was able to undo and to cancel. And I don't have to tell you tonight that the biggest problem between man and God is man's alienation from God. This chapter will show you that Jesus Christ brings about reconciliation. In other words, the alienation problem between man and God has been resolved. He's been resolved through the sufficiency of Christ. And the Apostle Paul is going to be so meticulous. He's going to mention the problems and the barriers between you and God. You know what he's going to do in the next chapters? He's going to take the next chapter and show you that all of those barriers have been removed in Christ. And he does it quite logically. And he uses a lot of parallels uh, in this passage as we begin to look at it. So when we look at this chapter... You'll discover that Christ, his life and his death on the cross is the perfect antidote and the perfect answer to man's ruin and man's rebellion before God. And it is the solution between God and man. Now let me begin tonight by simply saying this. Fundamentally, Adam's rebellion against God created three major barriers between God and man. And those three barriers are mentioned in this text. The first barrier that Adam's 
rebellion created with the barrier of sin. That has to be dealt with. If man is ever going to be reconciled to God and this alienation that man dreads and feels like an angst is ever going to be resolved, the sin problem has to be dealt with. So the barrier of sin has to be dealt with. The second barrier that man has between himself and God is the fact, what I call the barrier of death. God is life and the Bible says that man is dead in his trespasses and sin. So the barrier of death have got to be resolved. And then the third barrier is the barrier of condemnation. Because of man's sin, he brought death, eternal death. And that came about because of God's condemnation of man's sin. So in the attempt to solve the human condition and solve the human problem, you've got to present someone who can deal with the sin problem, the death problem, and the condemnation problem. And the Apostle Paul is going to show you in this passage that these three three great barriers that stand between man and God have been completely obliterated by the life and the death and the sufficiency of that life and that death. What he has done really is bridge the divide between us and God. And what we needed, if we're going to overcome these barriers, we needed someone who can act between God and man. And I want to say this, we had to find a mediator. And I take that back. God had to find a mediator. Because you and I absolutely had no hope whatsoever until God in his grace and his mercy reached down to us so we can reach up to him. He had to empower us to do that. Why? Because we're dead. Why? Because we're sinners. Why? Because we're condemned. So it's he that has to start this great work of salvation. And he chose the perfect mediator. And by Christ's life and by Christ's death, the Apostle Paul will show you clearly in this passage, he's knocked down all of those barriers and he's bridged the gulf between man and God and brought about full and complete redemption. In other words, the Apostle Paul is presenting to you in this chapter a complete, sufficient Christ who can meet the condition that man finds himself in. Now when you go through uh, this chapter, you'll find that the Apostle Paul is going to lift up and draw a comparison between what Adam did when he created the problem and what Christ did who was the second of them who solved the problem. So you'll find that he will say one man brought this and then he'll point out, but here's another one that brought this. He's drawing a contrast and he's drawing a parallel between these two lives. So here we are in Adam. Here we are, we share in Adam's sin. Here we are, we share in Adam's guilt. Here we are, we share in Adam's condemnation. And by the way, what does that mean in practical theological terms when we say that we share in Adam's sin and we share in Adam's sin uh, and his guilt and his condemnation. Again, I remind you, the Apostle Paul tells us what that means in, in Romans chapter 2 and verse chapter 2 and tra- chapter 3. Paul uses some of the most damning words to describe our condition because we're in Adam. Uh, for those of you who might remember, the Apostle Paul uses words like this in Romans chapter 3. There is none righteous, no not one. But he doesn't stop there. He says, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh God. 
But it doesn't stop there. He said they're all gone out of the way. But it doesn't stop there. They're all together become unprofitable. And then he says, there's none that doeth good. No, not one. There are no blacker and darker words in all the Bible than that. That's a summation of what it means to share in Adam's sin, to share in Adam's guilt, and to share in Adam's condemnation. It means that we are in the most helpless, hopeless condition outside of Jesus Christ. Now, just to give you an idea what that means even further, when you come to the epistle of uh, Ephesians, you will find that Paul uses some of the most toxic language to describe the hopeless condition of the man outside of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says in that passage in Romans chapter 2 that as a result of the human condition, there are four things about every man who is outside of Jesus Christ. He says in first number one, that we are dead in trespass and sin. So every man is dead in trespass and sins. But that is just the beginning. In verse number two, Paul says he is dominated by two forces that overpowers him. And then Paul mentions what those two forces are. He said that they follow the course of this world, which simply means the prevailing philosophy of the times dominates a man's mind and controls him. Look, I just got a, um, a leaflet. I was going to read it tonight. I, I, I don't know if I got it in my thing that um, Robert is keeping me up to date on a lot of these things. When he sees them on the internet, he normally gives me. There's a, a British doctor that just lost his job after serving in the government for 27 years, I think, or 26 years. You know what he lost his job for? He refused to call a man who was tall and bearded a woman. Just refused. So what does call the man she? He called the person he. He lost his job. Lost his job. Now let me just tell you something. The spirit of this. And by the way, get what, guess what the court said about him. Because he would not acknowledge the man for who the man claims to be. It's an attack on the dignity of humanity. <laughs> and then it goes on to say that the Bible contradicts what the law says. Now, could I say it ought to be the opposite way? The law contradicts what the Bible says. Everything is turned upside down. But that prevailing philosophy is going to imbue the whole world and it's going to become a standard and people become controlled by it because job security is what people want. And when your job security is jeopardized, the question is, where is your Christianity? By the way, the man's a Christian. He said that my Christian conscience would not allow me to do it because Genesis chapter 2 said that God made a male and female. And the court says the Bible is contrary to the law. See? The philosophy, the power of philosophy. And Paul said the spirit of the age controls the man outside of Jesus Christ. He's not controlled by scripture. He's controlled by philosophy. And then Paul mentioned another thing he's controlled by. He's controlled by the power of the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience. He's controlled by Satan himself, the enemy, Lucifer. So he's not only dead, the apostle Paul says, he's dominated by two controlling forces that lead him to his own destruction. And he has no power over these forces. 
But then the Apostle Paul goes on and thirdly, gives it an even worse condition of, of, of the, the man outside of Jesus Christ. He's not only dead in his sin, he's not only driven by two forces he can't control, but then Paul says he's also driven by his inner lust and desires. So not only does it have an outward force that he can't control, he now has an inward power that is too weak to manage. He's at the mercy of his desires. This is what it is to share in Adam's sin, to share in Adam's guilt, and share in Adam's condemnation. It simply means that you're in a very precarious position where you're, you're dead in your trespass and sins. You're dominated by forces you can't control that are external to you, and they're internal powers you have no power over. That's your dilemma. And then Paul mentions one last thing. He said, by nature... We are children of wrath. We are under the divine decree of wrath. You talk about man in a dilemma. You talk about man in a predicament. You talk about man in a situation where he is helpless and hopeless. And there is no escape. Those are the binding words the Apostle Paul uses. To talk about this man as man is outside of Jesus Christ. I don't think there's more, a more dreadful picture of the state of fallen man than that which Paul describes. And what man needs is that those barriers need to be removed. That alienation between himself and God needs to be bridged. And what man needs is the work of reconciliation. But for that reconciliation to take place and that alienation to be Conquer, it means I've got to deal with the sin problem, I've got to deal with the death problem, and you've got to deal with the condemnation problem. The question tonight is this, where's the champion that can deliver out of those three monstrous barriers that we are faced with? Where is he? You know, when I read Revelation chapter 5, I, I, I think a parallel... That's the way man is and man's dilemma when you read Revelation chapter 5. Remember Revelation chapter 5, John sees a book. And the book has seven seals. And Bible scholars, by the way, tell you that that seven seal book has to do with the title deed to planet earth. Christ taking the title deed and then reclaiming planet earth through the book of Revelations and the devastating wrath that he brings to reclaim it. But remember when... Uh, John sees this book and John sees this seven seal book. Uh, you remember that there's a majestic voice from one of the angelic beings that surrounded the throne and the question is asked, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals? Who is worthy? And you remember that a search was done. They went into the heavens, they found no one, no man. They went down into the earth, they found no man. And they said they even went under the earth. And they found no man. And John wept. Because no man was found. But then suddenly you hear hallelujah. One says this one here. The land of the tribe of Judah. The root of Jesse. He has triumphed and is worthy. And a, a, a peon of praise goes up from John. That he found that one. I think that's exactly how it is. In this situation. Here are all these titans, these things written in God's book of condemnation against man. And we ask ourselves, where's the champion who can deliver us? And a search is made. 
And whether it be in heaven or in hell or under the earth, there's none until we read this one. He's Christ. He's worthy. Not only to open the book, but to cancel everything in the book against us. And the peon of prayers goes up from God's people because they remember he and he alone is worthy. He and he alone is sufficient. That's the glory of the Christ that represents the men and women. Can you think of any dilemma greater than sin and death and condemnation? Not by man, but by God. How is this problem going to be solved? And this is what the Apostle Paul very meticulously begins to show us in this book exactly how God solved these problems. So we got to deal with the whole problem of judgment and sin, judgment of death, and the judgment of condemnation. And uh, this evening, I want to show you how the Apostle Paul deals with these three things. And by the way, you remember in the story in, in, in the uh, Revelation chapter 5, that John is so disappointed and he is so, he's so exhausted. He, he's at the point where he is so weak, he's almost at the verge of giving up. He is without strength. And that's exactly how we find ourselves when we see that death is against us, sin is against us, and condemnation is against us. And that's why the Bible says, when we were yet without strength, Christ died for us. When we had no hope, when we had no one to turn to, when we had no savior that we knew could save us, when we ourselves had no means of redeeming ourselves, when we had no strength whatsoever, not even to lift a finger to God or pray to God or word to God, at that juncture, Christ died for us. In all weakness. Oh, the marvel of this great salvation. Romans chapter 5 says that God commended his, son, his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The same chapter, Romans chapter 5 verse 10 says, For when we were enemies, we were reconciled by God to God through the death of his own son. In other words, when we came to the point where there was no human solution to the problem, God provided a way of dealing with the issues. And God provided the Christ and shows us in this chapter the complete sufficiency of Christ. Now what I want to do uh, tonight is to say that the answer to those three problems, sin, death, and condemnation, is found in the death and the life of Christ. And I'll explain to you how the Apostle Paul shows this very clearly. Now let's begin to look, therefore, at what Paul says about man's sin. And then how God was able to rescue man to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Paul calls our attention to four aspects of human sin. The first thing that Paul does is Paul shows us the cause of man's sin. I was going to use the word the culprit that created the, the sin problem. You know that Paul tells us two things about the, the cause of sin. Number one, Paul tells us it was caused by one man. You find that in verse number 12, verse number 15, verse number 16, and verse number 17. By one man. 
One man caused all of this. That's very significant. Because the Apostle Paul in Corinth, Scotland showed that one man solved all of this too. That's why he emphasized one man. The second thing that Paul tells us is that this man in verse 14 is Adam. It is he that caused the problem. So the cause of sin is this one man and this one man is Adam. Now you're going to see the parallel that I begin to draw. Number two, Paul talks about the composition of Adam's sin. And Paul tells us that Adam's sin was composed of two things. In verse 14, he calls it transgression. It was the violation of some restriction that was placed. A trespass is when you are told not to do something and you willfully violate it. And then Paul calls it in verse number 15 twice and verse number 17 once and then verse number, he calls it an offense. And what that means is because it was a transgression, it was offense to God. Someone got offended. And who got offended was God. The point is your sin is not your sin against humankind. Your sin is a sin against God, see. And that problem had to be solved. You tell me how you're going to solve that problem outside of Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul not only talks about the cause of sin, but the composition of it. Because he wants us to understand someone has to solve the problem between us and God. An offense has been committed. We need somebody to bring two people back together. It's called reconciliation. The Apostle Paul is going to show that we were reconciled through the blood of Christ. The third thing that Paul deals in this chapter is about the character of Adam's sin. If you look at verse number 19, he says, For us by one man's, what? Disobedience. So the character, the nature of Adam's sin was the disobedience of this man. The Apostle Paul knows what he's doing. The cause of it, the composition of it, the character of it. Because what Paul is going to do now is that the man, one man disobeyed and one man did what? Obeyed. He canceled it out. Every single thing that Adam brought, all the dire destruction he brought, all the barriers he set up, Christ systematically knocked them down and obliterated them through his life and through his death. This is why Paul is spending so much time dealing with this issue. The fourth thing that Paul talks about sin has to do with the consequences of sin. So the cause, the composition, the character of the sin, but then what are the consequences of Adam's sin? And I want to show you that uh, the three barriers that I'm talking about are the three barriers that Adam's sin caused. For example, look at verse uh, number 19. For by one man's disobedience, many were made what? What were we made? Sinners. So here's the problem. What Adam did brought sin. Barrier number one. Look at verse number 12 uh, and verse 14 and verse 15. Verse 12. Wherefore by one man sin entered into the world. And what came? Death by sin. Look at verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam. Look at verse number 15. For not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be what? Dead. So we've got barrier number one, sin. We've got barrier number two, death. But you want to see the third barrier? 
Look at verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came unto all men to what? Condemnation. So here is the consequences of Adam's sin. He brought sin, he brought death, and he brought condemnation. These are the barriers between man and God. And the Apostle Paul is going to show you very, very clearly by a parallel that in Jesus Christ, all of these things are dealt with through the life and through the death of Jesus Christ. Now let me draw the same four things to your attention. First of all, you had the cause of man's sin. I want to introduce you to the champion of man's conquest. And that champion is mentioned in this scriptures. And there are two things we're told about this champion that dealt with these barriers that Adam has set up. Look at verse 18. Look at verse 15 first. He says, but not as the offense, so also the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by what? One man. Who's that one man? Jesus Christ. What he's saying here, the one man Adam created all this mess we're in. Here it is. The one man Christ solved the problem. It's a masterful presentation of what he's doing in this chapter. But there's something else he tells us in, in, about Christ. He told us two things about Adam who caused it and about the champion. If you look in verse number 14, he said, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Who is a what? A figure. See? So what the Apostle Paul is saying here, the first Adam created these barriers. There's one that this type pointed to the anti-type, the second Adam, and he dealt with all three of them. See? He's using the name very significantly, and he's saying that Christ is the next Adam. If you were to take some time tonight and look at Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45, you'll find that Christ is called the last Adam. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 47, you'll find that Christ is called the second man. Adam embodied fallen humanity. Christ embodied redeemed humanity. He's the very opposite of the first Adam. What the Bible is here showing us very clearly is that Christ is sufficient because he completely cancels what Adam did. Uh, secondly, this evening, not only the champion, but look the composition of Christ's help. Adam's composition of sin was it was a transgression, it was an offense. But look what the composition, the kind of help that Christ offers. Look at verse number 15. He says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ. Well, you know what he's saying here? The first thing he's saying about Christ is this. This one who has come to give man help, the kind of help it is composed of a gift that is grounded in grace alone. See? By the way, that's the only way you and I can be helped. See? Not one of us, not one of us have got any righteousness, can do any amount of works in any way to deal with the barrier of sin, the barrier of death, and the barrier of condemnation. But this man, 
this man, the kind of help he offered, he brought what is called the gift of grace. God now acts out of gratuity, clear gratuity. Not requiring any kind of work, any form of effort on our part, out of God's sovereign grace, he makes this gift available to us. The Apostle Paul is here using every stretch of his imagination to try to show you quite clearly how this Christ is sufficient. He's all sufficient for your need. For all these barriers you're faced with, he's the one that has completely obliterated and abolished him because of what he's done for us. Notice the second thing that he says in verse number 16. And not as it was by one that sin, so is the gift. For the judgment that was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many unto what? Justification. See? Adam bought what? Condemnation. Christ bought what? Justification. In other words, the guilt that Adam was guilty of and brought condemnation, that guilt is now removed and God justifies it. And the word justify means to declare us righteous, not guilty. The marvel of what our Lord has done for us. The third thing, of course, is the character of Adam's sin. What was the character of Adam's sin? You remember? Verse 19. For by one's man sins what? Disobedience. What's the character of Christ for us? Look at verse um, number 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the what? The obedience of one. And let me show you why that's important. It is not only Christ's death that redeemed you. It is Christ's life. And let me explain to you what is that. Adam and us, we have broken God's law. Someone has to come to rectify that by perfectly fulfilling God's law. And you know how he has to do that? Not by just dying. He has to live it out. Completely meet all the demands by living it out. If Christ had not lived out and fulfilled the law for us, not even you and I can be redeemed. So that is why he put so much effort. The obedience as opposed to disobedience. Someone had to obey for us because we didn't obey for ourselves. Someone had to completely fulfill the law by living out the law before man and before God to honor God's law. So that is why the contrast is so important. The character of Adam sin and disobedience but the character of Christ Help and redemption is marked by life of obedience. The Apostle Paul is contrasting and showing the complete sufficiency of Christ. And then number four, the consequence. What are the consequences of Christ's death and life for us? And this is where I want to show you by coming back to those three thoughts. The sin and the death and the condemnation to show you that Christ's life and death solve the problem may I ask you a question what does a sinner need to be reconciled to God if I'm alienated from God because of my sin what do I need that I can be now reconciled and restored to relationship a sinner needs two things this is how he dealt with sin the first thing the sinner needs is somebody needs to pay for the sins. So to deal with the sin problem, someone has to pay for those sins. And of course, I don't have to tell you that Christ in his death 
paid for those sins. That is why throughout this chapter, when we were yet without strength, Christ died for us. When we were enemies, God sent his son to die for us and we were reconciled through the death of his son. The emphasis throughout this chapter is on the death of Christ because what the sinner needs, because it's someone to die, someone to take his place. If someone doesn't take his place, listen, he is going to a place of eternal torment. He can't escape the wrath of God. Someone has to take the penalty. So that's the first thing a sinner wants. But you know the sinner needs something else? And let me tell you why the sinner needs something else. Because let's suppose from today, Jesus Christ has died for all of my sins. But may I ask you another question? Do you still sin? You got any perfect people here? If you got any perfect people here, please raise your hand. And that's the problem. My sins are forgiven, but I still am very conscious that I'm a sinner before God. So how then can I approach God? And the second thing that a sinner needs, he needs a perfect righteousness. Perfect righteousness. Because for God to deal with me now, I'm a sinner. I can't approach this God. I know my sins are forgiven, Pastor, but I know that I sin in thought, word, and deed. So how can I come before holy God where... And that's where the Bible says that we now have Christ's righteousness. We're now in Christ's righteousness. So that when God deals with me, he sees me in his righteousness. Let me show you how the Apostle Paul shows you that very, very clearly. Look at verse number 8. But God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He dealt with the first problem that we need. What we need, we need somebody to pay for sin. Christ paid for the sin. Look at verse 17 and 18. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which are receive abundance of grace and of the gift of what? The gift of what? Righteousness. The free gift that God gives us is a free gift of his righteousness. That's what the sinner needs. He is a perfect right. He has none in himself. So God not only solved the problem of a payment for sin, but the question is this, even though I know my sins are paid for, I'm conscious I sin. So how can I approach God? And God says, I gave you a gift. I imputed Christ's righteousness to your account. So when I'm dealing with you, I'm dealing as if you are as righteous as Christ. Be sure to join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us how Jesus Christ dealt with man's remaining barriers of death and condemnation. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.